0: welcome to so many bits i'm your host bill nielsen and joining me from this palatial office in chicago is shelby Mongan. shelby how are you
1: I am uh, in true gamer fashion, sleepy, highly caffeinated, and yet still sleepy. But otherwise good. How are you?
0: You're just living that life.
1: Yeah, I'm a I am a sloth in human form.
0: Seven twenty four three sixty five.
1: Yes, precisely.
0: Uh I'm doing all right. Thank you for asking, by the way. Uh we haven't had a chance to talk very much lately.
1: No, it's been it's been busy, busy, busy. Lots of running around, lots of hiding inside, waiting for winter to end. And but I'm excited to be back. It's been it's definitely been a hot second. I need to subject you to Overwatch news you don't care that much about. I think it's you know it's
0: like uh, eating my broccoli. Uh, gaming wise, yeah, it Overwatch is, is broccoli.
1: This is this is fair. It's uh, it feels like it feels like broccoli sometimes.
0: I mean, and just like with Overwatch, sometimes I imagine two of my uh, broccoli pieces having sex with each other.
1: That didn't go where I thought, but I'm not going to confirm or deny that I agree with that.
0: Okay, I mean, you don't have to. You don't have to go on the record with that.
1: No, I won't go on the record of saying that I've definitely thought about that before, too. I, just, look,
0: let's just, let's just not put a box around shipping, okay? Ships are meant to sail the seven seas.
1: <laughs> yes, precisely.
0: So before we get into the Overwatch, though, uh, we do have an interview that we're doing this week. But first, Shelby, you and I have to do some screen watching.
1: Yeah, we do. I was outside watching some dear frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you?
0: So I think the very last time you were on, we did an episode of this same series. (laughs) It just felt appropriate to have you back on to do the next one.
1: Which An episode which references the episode we talked about last time as well, very briefly.
0: That's great, yeah. And this is, of course, uh, Gravity Falls. And it's season two, episode five, "Seuss and the Real Girl." Original air date: September twenty second,
1: two thousand fourteen. Oh yeah, okay. That's a reference too. It is. Yeah, it's a reference to a movie called Lars and the Real Girl with uh, um, what's uh, what's the hot guy that the, there's the Vine meme about feeding him cereal.
0: Uh, Chris Evans.
1: No, not that one. Chris Pine. Nope, not a Chris. Uh,
0: oh darn. Ryan it. Gosling. Oh, okay, yeah.
1: Have you not seen the Ryan Gosling meme? I no. okay. We need to finish this podcast recording as soon as possible so I can show you this. Okay, we we can. Yeah. This is important. Uh, but yes, no, it is a reference to like a early two thousands uh, indie film with him.
0: All right, and what's that film about?
1: Uh, I think a sex doll.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that actually kind of uh, fits yeah. In here.
1: It's a good. It's a pretty good reference, actually.
0: So, like, it's pretty good. Right in the uh, the cold open, there's just a thing where it's basically like, I wonder what Seuss's life is like. Then <laughs> it's just like the entire episode is about Seuss,
1: which is great. Seuss's is, Seuss's is fills that very particular role that I think is weirdly prominent in cartoons right now because this is also verbatim teddy from bob's burgers the like weird handyman sort of dude that's around that lives a strange life that you don't see a ton of um and i but seuss is one of my favorite parts of gravity falls by a long shot so i was stoked to have a him specific episode
0: shelby real quick sum up gravity falls in like 30 seconds and what?
1: oh gosh like twin peaks but for kids
0: oh wow that was like three seconds good
1: work but more illuminati
0: yeah, there is kind of that Illuminati thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's a brother and sister who spend the summer with their uncle who runs a, uh, a terrible roadside attraction in a small town, but actually there's lots of weird supernatural stuff going on. I forget, I, I thought about that watching this show that this, or this episode that Gravity Falls is like legitimately suspenseful, like legitimately kind of scary sometimes. Like It is, it is thrilling for kids in a really interesting way.
0: Yeah, they really, they find ways to like toe the line between what would or would not be appropriate, I think, for children. Uh, like there's a joke pretty early on where Seuss uh, visits his uh, abueli- excuse me, abuel- abuelita. There you go, abuelita. you got there. There we go. And she says that she wants him to find someone before she has to go out to heaven. And He's like, oh, you know, to uh, to meet grandpa, right? And she's like, no. No, he's not there.
1: That was the best joke in the entire episode because it hit me so, it caught me so off guard. Uh, His grandmother is the weirdest through through line through the entire episode, for Mm -hmm, sure. mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it definitely plays, well, and then, so if anyone is a fan, if you're not a fan of Gravity Falls, um, it's an amazing show worth watching, but the lore runs deep and runs weird in the best way possible. Yes. Um, Definitely worth watching all the way through.
0: Yeah, and, and just uh, in this episode, uh, Seuss is looking for a girlfriend. Uh, Dipper and Mabel are trying to help him out. It's maybe not going as well as they would have hoped.
1: He spends a lot of time just blatantly yelling at people, trying to in- understand how to interact.
0: Yeah, Seuss is pretty hopeless when it comes to flirting.
1: Yeah, or like talking Yeah, existing. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. Bless his heart.
0: And out of, unexpectedly, he runs into a not GameStop and, and they uh in the discount bin they have a uh a game it's a dating coaching game
1: it's a dating it's yeah it's a very stereotypical japanese dating sim style game
0: and uh they're they're warned by the shopkeeper who strangely doesn't try and get them to get disc warranty or get a premium membership and game informer but uh, the the the, sh- the person does warn them that the, the cursed game that people keep returning it.
1: There's literally a sticky note on, that says "destroy at all costs."
0: <laughs> but they they pick up the game anyway, and Seuss takes it home, and that's where he meets. Now they say his her name is Jiffiny, right?
1: Yes, though they do make the joke later on that it might have been Giffany. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's it's. I mean it's it's Giffany. It but runs, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. It's Giffany or whatever.
0: It rhymes with Tiffany. You could imagine, like, in a, in a video game, they would just change a letter.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Author is dead. It's pronounced Giff. What? <laughs> Sorry, I blacked out there for a minute. Um, yes, yeah, so he, he does meet the adorable, pixelated, magical girl esque Giffany, um, who turns out to be less adorable and magical girl esque than expected.
0: Yeah, at first they hit it off because she just kind of laughs and agrees with everything he says.
1: Well, and if he gets something wrong, I mean, this is the – I won't get – I will avoid getting too philosophical on this episode, though you know that is my favorite pastime. Um, But the benefit of the dating sim sort of style is if you get something wrong, you can either go back and redo it, you can reload a save file, or in this case, he clicks the wrong answer and it says nope that's not right try again and he gets to just choose the right answer um so yeah she she is very safe space for him to to quote unquote try flirting and dating
0: yeah and it's clearly taking a toll on him he misses a day at work and D- dipper and mabel show up to kind of drag him out of his room they go back to the mall and while there he it's weird he runs into Jiffany again
1: Yes, yeah, she is She is there. She has found her way out of the house.
0: And also, while he's there, though, he meets another person. What, what was her name?
1: I don't remember. We should have looked this
0: up. Oh, God. Uh, we'll try and look it up right now. Okay, after, like, seriously <coughs> 1,500 words, it's Melody. The person's name I was is right. Melody. Okay, I remembered yeah. right. So Seuss meets Melody, and I guess, like, not on his guard or not with any expectations built in, he actually has a normal human conversation with her
1: this is like a legitimate problem with people and i think it's funny i'm happy that they highlight this that if you try too hard um that it's, it's it's harder when you're putting all that effort in but when you just genuinely meet a person you find that you get along with someone you're like oh this is cool oh we're going on a date that's how this happens
0: and that's pretty much how it does happen they, yeah. he doesn't even realize he agreed to a date
1: i mean Seuss is not the brightest man no no. He didn't know it was flirting because he wasn't screaming at someone. Yes. Fair.
0: And at this point, jiffany gets
1: pissed. Very. She's very... Well, because he did often... Like, he said he was her boyfriend at some point to the computer. Um, which he never at any point thought was weird that she was actually responding to him.
0: Yeah, that was weird.
1: Didn't didn't think it was weird she was responding to his voice. But yeah, I mean, he was... As far as jiffany was concerned... Giffany, oh God, now I've messed it up, <laughs> uh, she was being cheated on.
0: There's one weird thing that happens in the f- first act that they don't really, I think, set up well, so that when he gets home and starts playing the game, the computer is unplugged. Yes. Which is supposed to indicate to us, the audience, that something is awry here.
1: She's It's a haunted game.
0: Why would he have his computer unplugged in the first place?
1: He, yeah, I mean, I imagine if this was a real show, there was going to be like a either there's a side up or side scene that was cut of either the fact that Seuss just never noticed because he's dumb or he like tripped over the cord and unplugged it and didn't realize it or something. Right. Yeah, right. It's, it's supposed to be. I mean, obviously, right. It's supposed to be television shorthand for this is something cursed and wrong and like magic. But yeah, you would think he would have noticed when he went to his desktop when he put the disc in that he would have seen that nothing happened.
0: Yeah, and, and like, to totally nitpick a five-year-old show regarded as a classic in animation, like, they probably could have just cut that part. Like, it, there's plenty that sets up. It's already weird. Yeah. You don't sure. need that. Anyway, getting back to uh, where we were. So, Jiffy is really mad and is like, listen, you need to stick with me because all those human women, they're trash.
1: We are. It's true. Well, you know, let's let's... So are the men, so that's why we should have each other, okay, I'm just yes. saying. All right, okay, fair yeah. enough.
0: Fair enough. That's where we're going with this. And, and he eventually though works up the nerve and uh breaks up with her.
1: <laughs> breaks up with this this evil program.
0: Then we go ahead and skip to the date.
1: Where they go to like a weird Chuck E. Cheese rip off situation.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Like a slightly punker rock Chuck E. Cheese.
0: And they had set it up a little bit earlier in the episode through the B plot which is very strange too.
1: Yeah. 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 The people it's just, it's just grunkle Stan being weird, which is like great in its own particular way. Um, I I will say the B plot did have my favorite moment of the entire episode, which was when the guy who works at this fake Chuck E. Cheese was um, moving the quote unquote opening act off of stage so that they could put the animatronic up. um, That was the main act. He told him that he did a really good job and that he wishes he could be as cool as him and then kisses the animatronic off the on the cheek and then like wheels away the dolly he had to move him. And it's just like <laughs> this most it's so subtle and so sad. It's wonderful. It's so good.
0: It it's a pretty great moment
1: of just pathetic love for animatronics.
0: Yeah. And, and the fact that, like, Grunkle Stan feels like he needs to, like, take this guy down a notch and steal the animatronic robot, which is why he's there. Yeah,
1: Grunkle Stan's, all of his B-plots, I feel like, are competitions of who is the saddest person. Mm. And it's, like, it's really just a struggle to be slightly less than on the bottom.
0: So up front, Melody and Seuss are on their date, and it's going okay sort of at the start. And then Jennifer, Jennifer, jiffany <laughs>
1: shows up. <laughs> Jennifer shows up. We haven't introduced her yet. <clears throat>
0: Jiffany shows up and uh, she is like walking through all the different arcade displays and eventually hacks
1: into the animatronic robots. So that she has a body, so that she can fight back. Um, Because we did find out earlier that she was in a game. So when they developed, when they were, the programmers were making the game, they decided that they wanted to cancel the sim that she was in. When they tried to delete her code, she electrocuted and murdered the programmer that tried to to delete her.
0: Shelby, this is a Disney property. I would only presume that uh, that person got electrocuted and was feeling fine later and then died for a different undisclosed reason.
1: I saw his skeleton, Bill. I saw his skeleton. Oh, well,
0: okay. Uh, it's, um, I, I, she, I guess the she, company based on Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck would have someone electrocuted.
1: she do a murder. I've seen Lion King. They do murders.
0: Okay, well that is the animal kingdom while the jungle scar
1: done a murder bill okay fine fine. phone the police <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> uh yeah no she i mean she's evil right she she has murdered before to get her way this is a this is established early on so the terror the, so this is the horror part of the episode which is that giffany gets a body so that she can do a murder and she also possesses and sort of creates an evil band of other lackeys out of the rest of the band at Not Chuck E. Cheese.
0: And we looked because I was like, wait a minute. And Five Nights at Freddy's came out like a month before this episode aired. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing that like neither inspired the other. But it was a very, very interesting coincidence.
1: It is. It is not the weirdest coincidence as far as predictions are concerned for plots. But we'll talk about that after this is over. Also with a very hefty spoiler warning. (laughs) before we'll decide if you want me to spoil some of it for you
0: right after the uh shows up and everything goes evil there's a really great line where seuss is like i'm gonna try and distract her dipper and mabel you take care of melody and melody's like these are children
1: (laughs) yeah yeah they are he does forget that they are definitely small small children
0: and so you know they're because they're small children they get captured melody does a little better gets captured and it's Seuss against jiffany, who is an evil psychotic uh beaver
1: owl, oh, oh, I think. owl? Well, she was lead singer right that was an owl I thought the maybe owl- she was a beaver she was an animatronic
0: yeah she was she's an animatronic robot and she's like well look why don't you just get downloaded into the game and we'll be together forever
1: Ugh.
0: yeah yeah he wasn't having it Seuss was not having it he dumps the original cd-ROm into the pizza oven which
1: you know uh okay i guess science that's how we break it
0: yeah she he scienced correctly and the disc melting causes jiffy need to go away forever
1: well he destroyed her horcrux or her like her her lich's uh phylactery so that's i mean it's that's basically it all right sure okay it works
0: it's fine i got the i got the idea
1: yeah yeah um thereby saving the day and then of course we get the saddest twist which is that Melody who is going to be like still like Seuss after all of this also does not live in Gravity Falls and will be going back home to Portland soon. Yeah. But potential long distance relationship is set up.
0: Yeah, they they do make it kind of cute. It's like, "Oh, we can just, you know, Skype each other." That's just like having a computer girlfriend.
1: It's it's cute. Yeah, Seuss is a weirdo, but Melody really likes him and so again, I'm talking as if these are real people, but they are as far as I'm concerned. They basically are. Yeah. Um in my dreams in my dreams right so this is this episode's so fun i will say so this is this is the point at which some spoil i won't are you going to play the game in question do you think for real for real oh you
0: can go th- you can go for it it's fine
1: okay so jump ahead if you're listening and you somehow have escaped spoilers for um a certain
0: Let's jump ahead two minutes from now if you are looking to not get spoiled on Doki Doki Literature Club.
1: Yeah, I mean, granted, saying that name also sort of spoils a twist of the game uh kind of so this is this came out in 2014 right yeah that's what you said so Doki Doki Literature Club is this uh Japanese dating sim like high school dating sim that came out in 2017 and sort of lit the internet on fire uh because it looks like a really cute dating sim where like these girls these really cute girls in this literature club that you join at school and one of them has been your friend forever and um the other ones are cute and so you can get to know them and write them poems and then it starts to get a little darker and weird but okay just keep going and then there is a massive twist and it's actually a huge deeply disturbing psychological horror game that ter- that ultimately ends up with um part of one of the characters um, is sentient, so alive in the game, and is purposefully killing off the other characters because they only want you to love them. Oh, um, it is.
0: like at all Yandari. It's think.
1: yeah, it's it's phenomenal, but it is upsetting. It's so funny because it's the sort of game that's great if you go in with no warning. Yeah. But it's also a game that is like cute and bubbly and pink. And the description is like, these cute girls at Literature Club. And then it also has to say like, not suitable if you were easily disturbed. Right. <laughs> and it's like, what? How do I get from A to B? Yeah. I mean, so the game's truly upsetting, but it's very, very good. And I think it's funny because this plot line of game is cursed and haunted, sentient thing wants you to love it and only yet nothing in the real world, like is literally the plot of Doki Doki Literature Club.
0: And if you're like still curious, it's free. No, it's free. No, on it's free. Steam, it, so you might as well, you know,
1: it's worth playing. If you if you like psychological horror and can take a little bit, you can take some disturbing Im- imagery. It is really really interesting um, storytelling. It's a really really interesting method of telling that horror story. Um, but yeah, so that it's it, there's it's funny because it's in two things, but it's not really necessarily. It's kind of a trope, but it's not really a trope in the same way. And so I, I just I as I'm watching, I was. IMing you while watching the episode and I was just like wait is this literally the plot of Doki Doki it's literally okay cool it's literally the plot of Doki Doki Literature Club dope within the same construction of Japanese dating sim turns evil
0: well I maybe I will check that out sometime I, you know it's really good you, got, you should play it it's got really the list, good so play
1: it around Halloween it's spooky
0: we'll keep that in the back burner
1: I mean it's it's more disturbing than spooky but it's both really I'll I'll give it a try. I don't mind. (laughs) Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, So, yeah, I think that's pretty much the episode. Uh, Shelby, at this point, as always, we're going to rate this episode on a scale of 6 to 10, Mm -hmm. as per you would for any video game. So uh, we'll start off with accuracy. So on a scale of 6 to 10, 6 being completely inaccurate and 10 being lifelike in its accuracy, how accurate would you say the video game references in Seuss and the Real Girl are?
1: So there's a lot of the the jokes about dating sims are I find particularly funny because it's it's a very niche genre within video games. Now, granted, most of the people that I know, myself included, that actually play those games are queer women, not sad men. So I don't quite know about that accuracy, like how many dudes are actually turning to it um, for advice of any sort. But there's a lot of really good references to tropes within those games um I love the twist of it I love the turn of it um and I do think like it, it is somewhat reflective of issues that we're having with video games and virtual spaces and populations like in the west that are marrying less frequently and dating less frequently because they're finding satisfaction other way, other places um, so for that I would go fairly high I think I'd go like I'm gonna go with a solid like seven and a half eight
0: Okay. Alright, I'll go with the, the full on eight. While I've yet to find uh the game that gains sentience and attempts to murder me, generally, yeah, I found this to be very uh similar to what I've seen about dating games, even in just like uh games like Mass Effect or Persona, where there are dating elements, usually it's just about like picking the right answer out of three, and if you mess up you can just go back and pick a different answer. Or in like Dragon Age, where you can literally just give items to a character to raise their approval rating, stuff like that. So it's
1: wait, but you you mean elements? I I thought Mass Effect and and Dragon Age were just dating sims. Are they not? I mean, there are
0: like you know side quests where you can like go and shoot some people, or yeah. like there's some DLC where some other stuff with like multiplayer happens. You know.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure those are just dating sims.
0: You know, uh, have you ever played the game Saints Row Four?
1: Is it a dating sim?
0: So, it's a. They parody Mass Effect in the sense that there's basically a Normandy, and basically, anytime you walk up to anyone, anyone on the ship, you can just like bone them immediately.
1: Oh, okay. Yes. I actually have seen clothes from this before. That sounds like my optimal game, to be frank. <laughs> I'm offended by any video game having anyone with any sexual orientation that does not include me.
0: <laughs> Next up is Condescension. Uh, six to ten again. Uh, so. Give this a six if you found it not condescending at all. Give it a 10 if you found it extremely condescending.
1: So I think the fact that Seuss is established as sort of a like weird sort of sad or strange dude way earlier in the show. And this video game thing is a very, very tiny part of his character. I don't see it as like a knock on dudes that play video games necessarily. Um, I'm going to go low on this. I'm going to say like a seven. I don't think it's super condescending. It isn't not condescending, which is why it's not going all the way down. Um, But I do think it's, Seuss just has problems with women. It just happens to be that the outlet that he finds for it is video games. He doesn't, like, have problems with women because he plays video games.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go with an eight, Uh, kind of applying that same logic. It's like, if they wanted to explore the space of, like, has trouble with women, they could have chosen, like, a different character to do that. But by choosing the guy who's, like really into video games and doesn't do much else outside of that like i i I think there is some uh derision towards that which you know uh is somewhat earned i'm not gonna say it's not but uh yeah so i'd I'd still go with the the eight there and then lastly uh entertainment if you found this episode completely entertaining and i I see you loading up already give it a six okay so just keep in mind you have to give it a six if you found it unentertaining but if you if you did decide that you really liked it you can give it a 10 that's the highest rating
1: Dude, it's Gravity Falls. I'm giving it a 10. I love, Mabel gets her braces stuck in the door immediately. <clears throat> I love, I love Gravity Falls. I would have taken approximately 700% more Mabel, uh, cause she is my favorite part of the entire show. She's great. Kristen Schaal is great. She's, oh my God. Oh, she makes a, su- a sh- sweatshirt that says good luck, Seuss, but she spells Seuss's name wrong, so she has to like sew in an O randomly. It's great. <laughs> um, no, I like this. I really like Seuss. I, I like his episodes. I thought it was funny. It was genuinely like thrilling at the end. The animation was cool. I loved the fights at the like. I I love Gravity Falls. It's a ten for me. I've I've rarely seen a Gravity Falls episode I haven't loved.
0: Yeah, it's a ten. Like I can't say anything.
1: The show's bad about so good. It.
0: It's really good. It looks really good. Like when they go into like the horror stuff, the like the lighting in the room shifts and it gets all dark and like the way jiffany is animated is like slightly at a lower frame rate than everyone else Oh,
1: she looks so good also the animations of the game that she's in like the pixelated um it's super like it's pixelated it's beautiful it's bright it's pink it's super fun i love the style like they clearly ape that style um side note she does pop in and i love i love when she pops into the game um from the previous episode we talked oh yeah about the, the, the fighting rum- game yeah rumble yeah it was very very good um yeah it's it's gorgeous it's a beautiful show
0: and then, uh, like even the B plot, which we didn't really get into, I, it was really goofy. But <laughs> there's, <laughs> that- there's this one spot where, like, Grugel Stan is like, "Hey kid, why don't you play with Old Goldie here?" And he puts a nickel in, and all it does is start screaming and spewing oil out of it.
1: <laughs> it's a very, it's a very Bill joke. It was very funny though. Um, there's a couple things, like, yeah, it oh, Gravity. Y'all just go watch Gravity Falls. The two seasons are on, Net- are on Hulu there it's just it's so good it's not a kid's show go watch it you it's monsters. really good yeah it's so good
0: it's it's one of the best animated shows like it'll be watchable like 20 years from now oh for sure like that'll be some you know 30 year olds batman the animated series or like tiny toot adventures when they're 30 and we're like age redacted
1: age redacted uh, exactly yeah it's very good also if you know any weird kids in your life like you you know any kids that are like a little strange a little quirky. Kind of off center. Show them Gravity Falls. They'll love it.
0: But I already watched it.
1: Yeah da da da. da. You're an adult.
0: okay. Well, that's brings you. You're an watching adult man, an Bill.
1: End. You can rent a car.
0: I could, but I probably should get liability insurance too, because I am an adult. You're an
1: adult man, yeah. Not
0: right. just the collision. Uh we're gonna go to break here. Uh
1: <laughs> with this riveting insurance talk.
0: <laughs> Going on a break. We'll be back. all right and we're back from break i'm here talking with mark laframboise about his game a fold apart uh mark is the co-founder over at lightning rod games mark we had the chance to talk at pax east recently i want to thank you again for uh getting a little more of your time yeah no problem it's good to meet you as well so i i hope you did have a good rest of the weekend there hope things uh wrapped up smoothly
2: yeah it was really good we had a lot of players come by and play the game um Paxi's is always really busy, but it's, it's fun to see people come by and actually watch them play the game, watch how they're enjoying it, seeing it. Sometimes you find bugs, too, which is always helpful. Just when you get that money volume, that much volume of players playing it, there's always stuff that crops up that's nice to kind of see. So, yeah, overall, it was, it was a great weekend. Um, we really enjoy going to
0: So why don't we start off here just uh, to recap. Maybe give a elevator pitch for A Fold Apart for people who may not be already familiar with the game.
2: Sure, okay. So A Fold Apart is a puzzle game but a long distance relationship in a world of folding paper. So all the puzzles have two sides like a piece of paper. So you can have a character living on one side and a character living on the other, and they're basically in two different worlds. It's almost like as if they cannot interact with one another, there's no way for them to get to one another. But if you fold that paper, you can merge the two worlds together and allow them to to reunite. And that was kind of the inspiration for the game because it felt like a good metaphor for what it's like when you're in, in a long distance relationship. You have a character. You have a, a, someone living in one place and someone living in another, and they can't interact at all. But it feels like if you just merge your like two physical locations together, uh, everything would be perfect. So that was kind of where the idea behind the game came from.
0: Yeah, I, I got to see that in action. I, w- I was very impressed with that mechanic. I, I haven't seen that before in a game. That was really cool. Yeah, it's something that like, we haven't really
2: seen. Like The idea behind it was us trying to combine almost two different separate ideas. I really wanted to make a game about a long-distance relationship. Uh, because before starting Lightning Rod, I was in one for about a year and a half. Uh, I was working at Disney in California, and um, my significant other at the time was, was living in Ontario still as a teacher. And so we were apart for about a year and a half, and had a lot of emotional ups and downs. I thought that would be very interesting to kind of tell as a story in a game, um, but I didn't really know how to like kind of combine that with game mechanics. And so I kind of sat on the back burner for a little bit. And then uh, one year after the Game Developers Conference, uh, Stephen, my my co-founder, uh, we were sitting down kind of just brainstorming game ideas. Where, like, we were just feeling really, really inspired. We were like, what are some cool game mechanic ideas that we'd never seen before? And one of the ones that Steven came up with was folding like the back of a Mad Magazine where you have like one picture and then you fold it and then it would make like a second picture. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, I was like, I don't really know how that's... there's gameplay there yet, but um, like the paper folding idea was, was neat. It kind of sat also on uh, another back burner in the back of my brain. Um, and it was a couple of months later. I realized we could combine them, kind of in that way that I was saying, where it's like you have the two characters and you have them living on a piece of paper. You could do that. Um, the idea kind of expanded from there. The the game now is is much more about these two characters that are are living apart, and um, the paper folding is kind of a representation of of some of the the emotions that they're going through. So throughout the game, they're text messaging back and forth. So they're they're sending messages. They're talking that way. And a story is told very much through the way that they interact with each other through, through that communication. And inevitably with a text messages, there's always aspects of, of miscommunication or maybe misreading what someone else said or even like um, like you want to say something, but you know that you probably shouldn't say it. And so it creates like this emotional moment. And that's when the characters go into like the um, worlds. They're, we call them emotional worlds um, internally, but it's it's where the puzzles exist. And the puzzle mechanics are kind of created through some of the negativity of, of feeling these emotions so solving the puzzles is kind of like representing the characters ways of cathartically working through some of the, the problems that they're having while living apart and so you kind of go back and forth you play as both characters throughout the game and and see their perspective while they're living apart that way
0: so you've been thinking about how narrative and gameplay mechanics intersect for a long time i was Uh, seeing that you did your undergraduate thesis in university on the overlap of those two. Yeah, it was really funny. I saw saw that on your topic list and I was like, wow, that's really digging up. That's like 11 years ago
2: at this point. (laughs) um, Yeah, I mean, so with undergraduate thesis, it's much more about being able to kind of go through the process of you know, structuring a thesis in general of like, here's a question I want to answer. How am I going to conduct a study and then actually conduct a study? So it's not, you don't have to, you don't have to iterate on it until you get published results. So it was really only like one iteration. And so it didn't have statistically significant results. But yeah, it was something I was like, I was interested in it at the time. I was, I was like, it's something that has always interested about video games. I've always been really drawn to the the way that video games tell stories. And um, my my thesis at the time was like you know do games pre submersion which I still think is true I wasn't able to actually prove it with the way I did the study I think I can think of a lot of better ways now after ten years of being in the, um, of how I'd want to approach that approach that study again but um, yeah it was it, it's always just been something that always has intrigued me is I think it's I was always I grew up. Um, playing like the LucasArts and Sierra adventure games, which are very story and narrative driven, kind of explaining, usually explaining the puzzles through narrative. Um, sometimes the puzzles are kind of obtuse, but <laughs> most part, they, they did a pretty good job of, of kind of linking in puzzle mechanics to, to narrative. And that's kind of always been uh, something that I've thought was really neat. And it was, the Apart is kind of like a, an opportunity for me to kind of pay homage to some of the games that I grew up playing um, in a way that's a little bit more modern themed, I'd say.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not specifically uncommon for a game to have a narrative or to try and explain parts of the game through the narrative. I mean, even Call of Duty will have you like, follow character X to try and like uh, advance the story. Uh, but I think A Fold Apart goes a step beyond in trying to merge uh, those two elements. Are there other games that come to mind for you uh, when really dedicated efforts to merge uh, narrative and gameplay come up? Oh, I think there's a there's a lot, and I think the best games are always like that. Um,
2: the one I've been playing, I've been playing a ton of of recently is Hollow Knight, which I think is one of the best games at doing that as well. Where just everything about that game just feels incredibly well meshed together. Like every everything you do in that game just feels like it has a specific purpose. Um, like the, the the way that they combine the combat mechanics and like the death mechanics with the overall feeling of the of the world and things like that is, is always really something I really enjoy. Um, puzzle-wise, obviously, Braid I think is is like seminal example of, of being able to tie like kind of like a good story. Like they, they justified the the, um, the time travel mechanics and stuff like that. Like that last level in Braid is still one of my favorite puzzle levels of, of any game. I think just the way that they set it up and then set up the expectations and then and then change them on you right at the end of the game. Uh, it was really cool. And um, yeah, so there's there's a lot of like I think my favorite, especially puzzle games. I think the best puzzle games on especially PC and console always seem to have like a good narrative and and the more it ties in with overall story is is good swapper is another good example i think um i felt like you know like the idea of having these clones and they worked that into a really really interesting and dark kind of um, sci-fi story which i thought was really neat um so yeah like just where you can take like this mechanic and you could kind of do it in a different way and depending on how you theme it you kind of get a different feel for it so the better you can match that mechanic with the story i think ends up making the actual puzzle mechanics feel better
0: mark you to loop back around a little bit you mentioned that you've spent 10 years in the video game industry and just uh looking at your uh, linkedin profile uh it appears that you've you've had numerous different positions within the industry uh does that help you uh with running your own company now how does that uh inform the way you uh manage people
2: well yeah especially as an indie studio so you know we're, we're sort of small everyone kind of ends up wearing a bunch of different hats. But I think having having experience with different roles is incredibly helpful there. I mean, my, my primary roles in the industry have always been either game design or production, so it kind of fits really well with what I do at Lightning Red, uh, where I do primarily the game design, so I did all the puzzle design um, for a fold apart, but I also do a lot of our business administration and, and managing the team. I mean, it's a small team, so a lot of people, we kind of do a lot of self-management. Um, I mostly kind of just organize the overall schedule and then kind of, tell people what our overall, like if we have hard deadlines or milestones and kind of allow people to work backwards from there. Um, we have a lot of senior people at the studio, so people are kind of able to use their own time really well. Um, but yeah, I mean, just being able to actually have that experience of, of working in those different roles kind of has helped a lot. And we've learned a lot just from running the studio, like we've been running the studio now for six years. So it, we've learned a lot just kind of the way we do it. We're also a fully remote studio, which kind of changes, I would say the way that we approach um, like project management and um, like the way that you organize and, and manage people is very different when everyone's working from their own house. Uh, just people have much more flexible schedules, but you also have to be very careful because some, some people are better or have a harder time working remotely and you're just kind of having to, to recognize when people are having challenges and helping them work through it. And a lot of times it's the same challenges, it's just that people don't realize that they've seen this before. So it's as we get more experience working as a remote studio, it's actually been working better and better, I'd say. I think we've been getting, um, we've been able to kind of acknowledge the types of personalities that work best in that type of environment, and, and being able to hire them is really helpful, so
0: good. Could you provide a few call-outs of key uh, positions within the company? Oh, yeah, I mean,
2: our team me so small, I could probably just give everyone a shout-out oh, at this point. Oh, yeah, go for it. Uh, <laughs> so, so, Stevens, our co-founder, and he's primarily our, our technical lead. He does, he's done all the programming. I would, okay he's on 90 90 percent of the program he likes to say that i do help with him with programming which is true i mostly do a lot of like the high level stuff but all of the getting everything working in the game technically is even his accomplishment um like all the the paper folding and things like that which is not something that is built into unity <laughs> so <laughs> so something that he's developed on his own and came up with this so uh so and stephanie is our art director so she's the one that. Um, developed the entire art style of our game. It was different before she joined the studio. And after she joined, she kind of reconcepted everything and moved forward with her designs. So all the art style is primarily based on on what Stephanie did. And then we have our animator, David, who basically has animated every single thing you see in the game, has been done by him. And then we're working with um, a really talented audio team as well in Power Up Audio. So they just recently won um, Best Audio for Celeste. They also won Best Audio a few years ago for Cryptid and Necrodancer. Whoa. so they're working with us on our audio but they're also doing the music um, the music specifically was being composed by Riley Koenig um, probably one of my favorite parts of the game like I really I'm really happy with the game the music every time I get the music delivered though I always feel pretty emotional so I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how people react to hearing the whole soundtrack in the game
0: I did want to ask about that art actually that that change in direction because I was you know googling and I found an old youtube video from lightning rods channel and it appears that the the main characters for the game are more maybe i would say muppety in their appearance sure yeah and then uh now there's uh, i'm not sure i have the correct vocabulary for it but everything is uh more angular uh more more concrete and it's all based in that blue orange contrast or maybe like blue reddish orange contrast Um, can you talk a little bit about the evolution of the art style with the switch to stephanie
2: yeah, okay, so one of the so we, we struggled for a long time trying to figure out what we wanted to do for, artistically. Um, we knew we wanted to kind of tie in paper, but we just didn't really have a really great idea how to do it. And so that kind of initial style was this idea, we called them the paper golems, Is it, it was like this the, the story and kind of um, conceit of the, the project at the time was that these characters would come to life on like the real life, so the real life architect and the real life teacher had desks and it was much more like photorealistic, the graphics were more realistic, and then the the paper on their desk would come to life as representations of those characters. And so those characters, the the architect was blue because he was made out of blueprint paper on the architect's desk, and the teacher was like this brown, and she had like a purple and orange kind of construction paper uh, dress with a, a paperclip holding it on because it was made out of materials that were on the teacher's desk. And that's where that kind of art style came from. And then the, the world that they walked through was much more literally paper. Um, it had like lines and grid paper and stuff like that because um, it was almost like they were just traveling across on the desk i it just i don't know it just never really felt great like just, It just didn't have like a really dis- emotional feel to it it just didn't feel like it was one of those things where it was like it just didn't feel like it was it was serving the overall narrative and emotions that we wanted from the, to the degree that we wanted to and i think going with a much more colorful style end up feeling much better and so what we tried to do with this new style is we still want it to be we kind of wanted something that was like paper crafty, but not like fully like made out of materials. Like like the new Yoshi game is a good example of, of that style where it's like everything is made out of real world physical objects. Um, it's very clearly made out of like cardboard or paper. We wanted to kind of evoke the a feeling of it being paper craft without it being fully like needing to follow like the physical rules of, of being made out of paper. Um, so that's kind of where like that new style where it's like we're playing with the the, the shape of things, are is have much more, um, much more angular. They have like more facets and stuff like that um, than they would if they were like trying to be photorealistic. But it's it's kind of like that nice blend between like low poly and it's still feeling like like colorful and, and and things like that. So
0: I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. I, I was just yeah, very curious be- because there was a definite contrast there, and mm. uh, I I like I like both looks. I think the the current look is really sharp, though. Well thanks. And then uh, I did want to also ask, uh, so previously uh, you were tr- using FIG as a fundraising platform for the game. That I believe this was back in 2018. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with using FIG?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, just FIG has a very specific audience that works really well with it and, and Fold Apart maybe wasn't the best fit for it. I think, I think fundamentally that's what it comes down to. I, I think the people at FIG, they're pretty good. They worked with us on trying to help us Get things working and improving things, Um, but I just don't. I don't think the. I don't think the audience match was was as close as we were kind of hoping it would would have been. So I wouldn't really hesitate to go back to Fig if we had a game that I thought was a better fit for what the audience is. Um, But that's ultimately what I think happened in that in that scenario. It wasn't. It wasn't a bad experience. It was just kind of a good learning experience. Helped us figure out what we needed to do. Um, We were fortunate enough to be going to Fig with not. We we didn't need to be successful to have the game come out, obviously. So um, it was more just like to help us. We we were kind of using it as as a way for to engage an audience to kind of help people have a little bit more input to the game if they were suc- if we successfully backed it and had like been able to send out stuff to people who had backed it, maybe get feedback. But it's okay. It ended up it ended up being a, a worthwhile experience. I think it kind of got a little bit of marketing coverage for us, which is helpful. But yeah, overall not. Not successful, but I don't think a total loss either.
0: So. I did see Tim Schaefer uh, chimed in on yeah. the, on the page and was like, "Hey, this looks pretty good." That was
2: that was a bit surreal for, for like I mentioned earlier, like yeah, um, with the Lucas, know, Lucas arts, arts, yeah, Lucas Arts and games, yeah, and that Stephen as Stephen as well, like both of us um, when we met each other and one of the reasons we really wanted to work together and thought we became friends because of it too is you know, Grim Fandango was actually both of the, the game one of the games that us to wanting to make video games as a career, um, being able to see that you could create something with a really strong story um, in a way that was very well told and very interesting, not something you'd really seen that type of story at all. Um, and it just kind of captured both of us when, when we were younger and made us want to get into the industry. So, so having so having Tim Schafer give us a personal call-out on a whole apart part was, was pretty cool. Like it was, that was That was a pretty interesting highlight on the project.
0: One last question with regards to the game. Uh, Mark, with uh, the aspect of a long-distance relationship, have you had people communicate with you about their own experiences? Uh, maybe not even just limited to uh, people in a romantic relationship like uh, parent-child, uh, situations like that? We definitely have people
2: come by and play the game. And it seems like the game really definitely has like an emotional impact on people who have experienced or are currently experiencing a long-distance relationship. Um, which is good. It's always hard. It's always hard if people get kind of emotional playing your game because you feel kind of responsible for making them feel bad. But at the same time, that is sort of the emotion that we're going for. So it's it's a bit tough sometimes. Um, but it, it does seem to have that big of an or has a bigger impact with people who have. Um, we have had people who have not been in one um, also kind of just play it and we're like, oh, wow, like I kind of understand what you guys are going for. Like I can feel the emotions even though I never personally have, which, which is also really good because I think I think that's going to be a key part of, of this enjoyability is like being able to, you know, kind of experience these emotions, even if you haven't personally experienced. Um, we've had, we've, uh, like we haven't like we have really talked about or had anyone really kind of approach it more from like a platonic aspect or, or like a paternal or, or maternal um, relationship. We have had younger children play the game and they usually approach it that way, I guess, like. I find a lot of times, so the characters that they pick at the start, because we allow players to pick which gender combination of the characters, and so they usually pick like them and their best friend. So whatever <laughs> whatever gender their best friend is, that's the gender that they pick, and it's not it's not like a romantic thing. It's just like that's them and their friend game. So it's it's interesting to see that how that, which I think is fine. I think the game actually kind of works mostly that way. We don't we don't we don't really go into very um, I would say mature themes with the content of the, of the story. Um, Implied that it's a romantic ship, but they don't really see anything that I, I feel would be inappropriate for younger, younger players to see. No, it, that, that's up to parents to make that decision. <laughs> I think. <so. laughs> I mean, yeah, it seems
0: like about a. It seems like a themes of loss and communication are are at the forefront there. So yeah, not necessarily. Yeah. I mean, it, it does come from a romantic place originally, but it doesn't have to be romantic for everyone who is mapping it onto their own experience. Correct. Yeah, Mark, I did want to ask you. There are. Other games uh, out there, and I think there's one game that we are both a big fan of, and that is Magic: The Gathering. <laughs> now, uh, the Mythic Championship is going to be taking place this week in London, so the episode will be airing after the Mythic Championship is over. But I wanted to get your take on a few key topics for this coming weekend's tournaments. Okay. The London Mulligan. How do you think it's going to work? Oh boy. So. I don't like playing.
2: I don't like combo decks, so this to me, I'm like, I'm very wary of it. Um, I I tend to play. I don't know. I guess I guess fairish slash ish decks. So um, you know, I don't necessarily play. play I, well, I guess I'm playing blue white spirits right now, which I think is a fairly interactive aggro deck. At the time, it's like a tempo. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's gonna make some of the harder matchups harder. Like having having combo decks be more. Cons- I'm wary of. But I'm coaching that with the fact that I'm assuming internally Modern Horizons built and designed with the understanding that they might be having that London. Mo- so, I don't know, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, the game always seems to kind of work out. The, the meta always seems to kind of, especially modern, seems to kind of like release itself over time. Like Phoenix doesn't feel as bad as it did like even a few weeks ago. So, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm curious, especially since combo decks a lot of times use the graveyard and the graveyard is already... Very decks are already pretty strong, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm probably biased. Like I I used to play Burn a <laughs> lot, and then they just gave Dredge Creeping Chill and just made that matchup horrendous. <laughs> so now they're making Dredge better. So I'm like, I can never really feel comfortable playing Burn anymore, um, which is one of the reasons I switched to Spirits. Uh, I've been looking at... The next deck I've been looking at building was uh, Death Shadows. So I've been kind of watching some videos, watching people play it, see if at least that would be something that I want to look at. But I really like that tempo... I really like that kind of like tempo-ish um, aggro style where it's like you have creatures that you kind of protect and just kind of get in and have interaction. Um, I really like I like playing the the mono blue uh, deck in standard right now. Ugh, too, I, really I really don't like that. <laughs> well, I, okay, so I so to be fair, I played it mostly before um, before uh, Ravnica and, and actually before Guilds of Ravnica. I was playing it more. I actually played took it to PQ for that, which is before it had like Terramander and was like. Like, oppressive, I would say. Like, it was fun to play back then. Now it's, yeah, I can see why people don't like playing it. It become a lot more popular and enjoy playing it after a while. <laughs> <it's just> <laughs> but yeah, that, that play style was fun. I, I do enjoy it. It's just the idea of, like, you stick something, protect it, and just counter everything.
0: I, I should mention, we're not going to go down every card that is brought up, but the London Mulligan for the listener is at the start of the game, you draw a hand of seven cards, and then uh, you may shuffle your hand back into your library if you don't like it, redraw seven more cards and then for every time you've mulliganed you put one card in your hand back on the bottom of your library i think it was the bottom of your library or you shuffle it back in i forget it's bottom bottom yeah. okay that's
2: what, yeah all right cool that's what makes it even stronger too because like you can get rid of cards you don't want um and that's why I like so combo decks a lot of times especially in modern most combos are really two or three cards so it's like you basically get to see seven every time, and then you have those two or three cards. You keep it and just throw away the ones you don't need.
0: Right. No- normally.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Normally, you're going. You draw seven, then you draw a six, then you draw five. So you get to see a lot more cards this way. Yeah. And then uh, one other question for Magic: Do you see any cards being banned from the as a result of the Mythic Championship? Oh, I don't know. I don't think they're going to do any bans
2: before Modern Horizon. No bans. I, I I think I think they're going to let it play out if the new set. Cause that's like it's like what two hundred and some odd cards that they're adding to the to the, right. to the format. Yeah. So like I I mean I I have a feeling they won't ban anything. Um I mean I have to imagine serum Powder is on their watch list. Um just because that card just with the London mulligan I, I don't even remember fully. I want to try to ex- remember if I can explain how this works. So every time you mulligan, you can exile the number of cards you would have mulligan. Yeah yeah I, yeah, I like think that. it's
0: like serum powder and all the cards in your hand. And then you draw yeah, seven cards.
2: Exile it, can... but then they have cards that come back from exile, so that's, <laughs> that's part <laughs> of the problem. So yeah, it's it's weird, but um, I I don't think I have a feeling that card would probably be something that they're gonna kind of considering because it was it's a card that really didn't see a whole lot of play before this Mulligan roll. so you know banning it isn't really gonna I don't think affect things in terms of like like legacy like decks that have been around for a long time. Um, I think Colorless Eldrazi was like, Swampy was like the only one that really used it. Um, and that was like a tier 2 deck, so it wasn't, yeah, it's not something that, I, that one I would see that maybe they might ban, but I don't know. I, the Faithless looting thing is kind of frustrating to me, because I don't even think that's a, a problem card, I think metamorphose is the worst card than, than Faithless is. <laughs> so I'm like, I think Faithless is a good card, I think it's fun to play it, right, like there's decks that can play Faithless that don't feel bad, and the decks that are, like the way that Phoenix is really abusing everything, it's more metamorphose that's the problem. And I'm like dredge. I'm like, I don't think it's faithful. That's the problem in dredge. I think kills worse.
1: Any but anytime there are I'm free spells, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, creeping chill just having no way to interact with it, like unless you have a surgical extraction. be when it gets when it gets put into the graveyard, it's just, that's I don't know, I don't understand how there's no cost on it. <laughs> <laughs> I, anyway, I, I'm super biased. I, play, I came from a burn background, so any any card that heals you for three and deals dam- three damage to the other person for absolute free is uh completely busted i wouldn't i would love to have free lightning hit my burn day
0: <laughs> final question and i guess it's technically a, a three-parter and we we did kind of cover this in the packs interview but if you could have one pokemon as a pet if you could okay. be one pokemon and if you could eat one pokemon which would they be
2: okay if i could have it as a pet um this is really bad so i'm gonna I'm, I'm i'm gonna kind of like expose myself here i've only really played two pokemon games ever <laughs> so i'm trying to go through i played i played uh pokemon x and i played oh sorry pokemon y and pokemon was the only ones i played i haven't finished i think that um, i think that's fair though it's
0: better that is better than some guests <laughs> okay
2: so yeah because i just never grew I, I like i said i grew up mostly on on piece like, adventure games so i never really had like a or like any of the handheld nintendo system when i was growing up so i never really played them when i was younger so i've been playing them more as an adult and i, I don't want to say the gameplay is is easy but the gameplay is easy <laughs> so i just never really kind of got into it like the turn-based mechanics and things like that i just never really felt challenged playing them so i just kind of i always laps off like the collection aspect is fun but that's but okay anyway so to answer the question <laughs> i'm trying, to remember, I'm trying to remember, like i have like i don't remember their names so do i have to look up if you can describe it i might
0: be able to fill in uh okay he,
2: it was the it was the grass starter in y i think like
0: ooh, uh, uh it started with c i think right now i'm looking yeah. it up <laughs> uh Chesspin. Chesspin.
2: Yeah, so he's he's my very first one. So I'm going to say Chesspin as my pet one.
0: All right, cool. Chesspin as the the pet. Okay.
2: What was the other ones? Those, the other ones were
0: The other uh starters were fennekin which is Oh, no, the other questions Oh, on.
2: sorry. Uh to be and to eat. Oh, to be. Oh, um oh man, if I want to be one, I'm just going to say Mewtwo, cuz That's fair.
0: That's certainly fair.
2: And then uh, to eat well, I, I answered this when I packed. I think I totally eat Jigglypuff. Yeah, Jigglypuff. Yeah, eats, it's like marsh. Although now, I mean, I think in Detective Pikachu, Jigglypuff is hairy, so I don't know. Maybe he's, maybe it's not made out. Of what it looks
0: like. <laughs> there are other options though. There's a, a Pokemon that's kind of like a cloud. It's called, I think, Drifloon. Dr- okay. You can try that as an yeah. alternative.
2: Oh, is that one that looks like a an egg too? Yeah,
0: yeah. There, there's a looks yeah, like an Easter egg almost. East, oh, oh, there's a togepi. Uh, yeah, that's it. I think that's the one. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there's that one. Uh, there's a execute, <laughs> which is just like it looks like a six pack of eggs. Oh,
2: no, it's toge- togepi is the one I was thinking of. All right, yeah, the
0: little star. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so just to recap, uh, to pet Chespin, be yeah. uh, Mewtwo, and eat Togepi. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Mark. Uh, That brings this interview to a close. But uh, if people want to get updates on A Fold Apart and Lightning Rod games, where can they get them?
2: Uh, So our website is afoldapart.com. And the best way to get uh, updates from us is to follow us on Twitter, which is LRGThunder.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much for your time. All right. Thanks. And we are back. Just uh, this is gonna be Bill's magic minute. So I actually need to pull up a D20 randomizer here. Oh, I
1: come on, Bill. I have one on my phone. Are you kidding me?
0: I uh, no.
1: Look at me. Look at this giant nerd sitting in front of you. Uh, I see him. A... How am I supposed to roll my large level spells? My druid was level nineteen recently. When the campaign ended, I needed to roll many dice at once.
0: So, so we need a like a three D20 roll, please please
1: 24
0: okay so i get 24
1: seconds if i i did crit fail one of those does that mean you can't do your segment
0: it means at one uh nope one second okay cool at one arbitrary second in there you get to kick me
1: it's a it's a fun mini game for the audience to figure out when it was yeah when it happens
0: yeah, so uh, my topic is going to be the Planeswalkers that are going to be in War of the Spark, the upcoming Magic set. I'm going to have 24 seconds to talk about it. Shelby, are you ready?
1: What? Yeah, sorry.
0: Okay, just uh, yeah, take take me off when you uh, when you're fully uh, awake. Again. Go. Ah, uh, they have War of the Spark coming out uh, in the next few weeks, and they're going to have 36 Planeswalkers in the set, and it's kind of out of control. Feels like they better have a really good plan for that and how they're going to make that work in terms of uh, making them diverse in what they do and how it's going to work in a limited environment because Planeswalkers are already pretty tough to beat in limited.
1: That's too many Planeswalkers.
0: You know, I would love to really get into it more. If you like, we could do another... So uh, let's
1: talk about what we're playing right now.
0: uh, So yeah, I guess uh, if we're not going to talk about that, we'll uh, call this episode of So Many Bits to a Close... Shelby, if you want people to find you anywhere, uh, where can they find you?
1: They can find me on a terribly inactive Twitter or a very active Instagram at Shelby underscore Fawn. Um, what I would love for people to look up, though, is the show that my dear fiancé and I are producing called Your Stories. Bill is an old hat regular storyteller there. Actually, you told a story very recently with us. Very, very last, recently. This last month. Um So you can find us on Facebook at Your Stories um, or on Twitter at Your Stories Show. Um, We do nerdy storytelling with a theme every month. Uh, Right now we are in a series about uh, work and labor. And so we just did one on customers and we're getting ready to do one on managers in April. Really excited.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I was really glad to be a part of it last month. So uh, get out there and check it out. There's lots of info on where to find it and when it is. And uh, as for us, we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Spreaker, from SoundCloud, from YouTube. I have another podcast that I'm currently putting out. What? It's a limited run podcast about magic, so don't get too excited.
1: Yeah, I actually already listened to it.
0: Aw. Oh, it's a year in 20 life. It just uh, kind of. I don't want to say memoirs. Like, that seems a little too... <laughs>
1: don't, don't, yeah, don't say memoirs. <laughs>
0: like, what word would you use for it? But it's a I, podcast. But, but what is the podcast about?
1: I mean, it's a story. It's sort... You know, it's funny. It's sort of like... It's It's a series of your stories, stories, kind of. Like, it. in that it's like a monologue, nonfiction narrative.
0: What do you call monologue, nonfiction narratives? Memoirs!
1: Yeah, but memoir... It just especially when it's not in written form. I'm ruining your promo, but really I can't stand it. It's a year
0: and 20 life. It's going to be a limited run. It comes out roughly every Monday, so check that out too. We also play – I'm sorry.
1: No, I was just going to say it's good. Just don't call it a (laughs) memoir. Okay, fine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We also play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits, Wednesdays and Thursdays, 8 p.m. Central Time. Wednesdays for Magic the Gathering. Thursdays for a variety of different games. Recently I wrapped up a long playthrough of Resident Evil 2, uh, I've also been doing Super Mario Brothers 3, Castlevania Rondo of Blood, just, you know, a mishmash, potpourri. And we'll be doing another uh, playthrough of a game coming up pretty soon, I think. So uh, in that case, with all that said, thank you very much, and have a great summer.